Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. Rich Little will join us in our second era. Rich Little, America's master mimic. Rich is getting ready for his very first virtual performance, which will take place this coming Thursday, October 15th from a socially distant location. We'll tell you where you can catch the live stream that night. We'll also talk to Rich about some of the many showbiz figures that he has either impersonated or gotten to know over the years, including Jack Benny, Jimmy Stewart, David Jansen, Barry Morse, Johnny Carson, William Devane, Dana Andrews, and Robert Mitchum. Rich Little will join us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. Our second hour will also feature Tara Newley Arkle. Tara is the daughter of Dame Joan Collins and singer-songwriter Anthony Newley, so it's no stretch to say that she has showbiz in her blood. She also has writing in her blood. Tara has just published a novel set in the world of radio in the 1990s that has a lot of elements of classic workplace comedy such as The Office, Frasier, and WKRP. Tara Newley Arkel will also join us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, we will open up this hour by playing part two of our conversation with Emmy-nominated comedy writer and producer Ted Bergman. Ted Bergman, the youngest staff writer for the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour and a writer-producer whose other TV credits include All in the Family, The Hollywood Squares, Give Me a Break, The Munsters, Full House, The Jonathan, Winter Show, and Sanford and Son. Confessions of a Rogue TV Comedy Writer, the story of Ted Bergman's life and career in network television, captures the highs and lows and various in-betweens experienced by just about every a television writer and any writer, no matter what industry they write for, Confessions of a Rogue TV Comedy Writer, available in softcover and as an ebook through Amazon and other online retailers. You can follow Ted Bergman on Facebook, and Ted Bergman spells his last name with one N, not, the, not two Ns like the Ted Bergman of Three's Company. One of my favorite chapters of the book is when you talk about Don Meredith. Uh. You worked with him just before he became Dandy Don. It was the tail end of his playing career and before Monday Night Football. That's true. There are people that you and I have both met. I am of the opinion that celebrities are highly overrated. Mm -hmm. uh, and that on my almost my second job on Hollywood Squares, because I used to get to have dinner with them. I used to write the questions for the squares. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And I would meet these people sitting down at the table right across from them. And they are pretty much like you and I. Uh, but there are a handful that really stood out, that their personalities were just really overwhelming. And Don, plus the fact that he was a big man. I mean, you know, professional football players are all big. He was like six four, mm -hmm. five, But he had the ability to when you met him to make you believe that he was your best friend and um just the easiest guy in the world to talk to there's a, i've i have found and i hope this isn't a stereotype uh or i'm profiling here in any way but i found southerners one of the wonderful things about southerners is their open heart their gentility um their friendliness to you. I found that when I was doing wine tours also, because uh, we used to get a lot of people from the South. And 
they were interested in you or either, or they pretended to and it worked so yeah he was very very special had a great sense of humor and at the end of it he gave me his football jersey <laughs> which, which roommate who still wears it he still has it I said, you know what you could get for that on eBay? And he said, forget it. You know, I'll bury me in this. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's a, he was a good guy. And when you describe your experience working with Don Meredith, now, uh, for those who haven't read Ted's book, very briefly, Meredith was one of the guest stars for a CBS special featuring Bobby Gentry that Ted was the primary writer for. And... What Ted did, not only with Don Meredith, but with many of the other personalities uh, that he worked with, is Ted made an attempt, you made an attempt to get to know, in this case, Don Meredith, the person, and you were able to draw experience from that, from Don Meredith, the person, and, and were able to write material based on that experience versus trying to fit Meredith into a joke. Oh, yeah. I had no business on that show. Absolutely no business writing that show. But there's something that is pervasive in the business. Now, I've been out of it for for a while now, so I can't say it still exists. But my guess is that it probably is. The people responsible for putting shows on the air, the network executives, etc., are not comedy people for the most part. There are a lot of exceptions to that. Uh, Norman Lear, when you reach a point, uh, Chuck Lorre, when you reach a point where you start out as a writer and you have so many successes that you are now an executive. That being said, if you come off a hit show as a writer, even if it's your first show, if you come off a mega hit show like I did on Smothers Brothers, I wasn't off that show three months ago when my agent called and said, Bobby Gentry, she had the number one hit, Ode to Billy Joe. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you to come the head writer for this special and i didn't say are you kidding me i don't know what i'm doing uh i said sure when do we start and uh i kind of faked my way through it and got through it but the observation that i'm trying to make is that as far as getting jobs are concerned if you come off a hit show you will work yeah and more come up the more you will work and it has nothing to do with your ability it's the fact that you were there yeah you may be the on the show, but you are carrying that, uh, for lack of a better word, that, that name tag with you. Yeah, and, uh, th- there was a certain cachet to being part of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour at the time, for example, and that's what got you work on the Bobby Gentry show and others. Yeah, absolutely. Still is for that. But yeah, it got me work on the show, and I had no business being there. I really didn't. But like I have done other ways, I just suck it up and do the best you can. But it opened up a whole door of show business to me, which I talk about as far as that particular show is concerned and uh, drugs and drinking and all of that stuff. But it, it was a real experience. Yes. Ted Bergman is joining us via Zoom. Ted's memoir, Confessions of a Rogue TV Comedy Writer, 40 Years of Fame, Fear and Combat Inside the Writer's Room, the story of Ted's life and career writing and producing network television for 40 years, available in softcover and as an ebook through Amazon.com, other online retailers. You can follow Ted Bergman on Facebook. Um, you're, you worked with Red Fox for two years on Sanford and Son. You're, I, mean, I recently had a chance to talk to John Barber on the program. Your take on Red 
is pretty much in step with John Barber's take on red, which is red didn't care if you were black, white, yellow, or green. What matters was that you were funny. I think red, because of the life that he led, which, boy, a lot of, lot of potholes there, <laughs> developed a radar, um, sonar. He would pick up any kind of false step if you were... And he literally, there were a lot of peripheral people. When you work on a television show, there are all kinds of what you call peripheral people. I'm not denigrating them, but they're peripheral. Right. Agents, uh, network executives, insurance people, you know. But anybody that would come on that, if there was something phony about them, um, sometimes he would say something or sometimes I've seen him ask to get people off the set yeah. who were just, you know, kind of uncomfortable to be around because it was so obvious they were sycophants. So, okay, that's, I've used up my big word. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he, if you were straight with him, he was totally straight with you, and he would appreciate it. Yeah. He, he would appreciate that. So, yeah, and I liked Red a lot. Um, although he almost got me thrown in prison. Yes, and we'll leave we'll leave that as a tease. You got to pick up a copy of Ted's book in order to find out that story. But that's a very funny story. And uh, and here's another tease: the elephant joke that uh, you, you you submitted to Tom Smothers from one of the Smothers Brothers shows. That made that I fell out of my chair. I never I never heard that joke before. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll tease that. You got to pick up a copy of Ted's book to, to find out what we're talking about there. But the other reason why. You and Red hit it off is it, it comes down to something we talked about earlier, Ted, which is if you're hired to write a comedy show, the focus should be on the funny. And every joke, every gag, every detail should not only forward the story, but also make sure that the show delivers its punchline. And uh, you didn't worry about whether you're, quote-unquote, writing writing for blacks or, or not. You looked at it was, I'm going to write what I think is funny and let the rest do the rest. Yeah, I've been asked that question many, many times. And I'm gonna go to, I've got a good friend by the name of Jay Moriarty who wrote and produced uh, The Jeffersons for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. He used to talk about the fact, and he's also Caucasian, and we used to talk about the fact that so many people um, especially black people, and sometimes with maybe a little tinge of anger in it, would say, how can you write for black people? And, you know, maybe there's a universal truth there as far as humor and comedy. Funny is funny. A good example of how I proceeded with that, which is which is in the book, was just a joke, but it's a good example, and it, it, it's a joke that was, it started out with Fred and Whitman Mayo as Grady uh, playing a board game, and uh, Lamont, the son, comes in and says, what are you guys doing? And Fred says, as the joke is written, we're playing Monopoly. And Lamont says, that's a kid's game. Monopoly, that's a kid's game. And the punchline is, Red, Fred, says, yeah, but where else can a black man own railroads, power companies, and still have a car that lets you get out of jail free? Hotels. It's a long time ago. <laughs> but, no, you got it. You got it. But the joke was immediately cut when it was first read around the table. And a very simple read says, very funny, but blacks don't play Monopoly. So I don't think 
off the top of my head that I ever had a joke that was cut because I didn't understand the black experience in one way or another. And boy, I'm just a, I was just a Jewish kid raised in the San Fernando Valley. I think we had one black kid in our high school who was the son of a judge. Uh, I did not grow up in, in that era. I think nowadays with, with BET, Black Entertainment Television, um, there are a lot of shows out there that I have watched and I couldn't write for them. Yeah. They are to a certain um, cultural experience that I have no experience with. But yeah, I guess I just wrote what was funny. And if they liked it, fine. If they didn't, they would tell me why. Yeah. Or in the case of Red, you know, he said it's, it's a funny joke, but it won't work because blacks don't play Monopoly. Therefore, it's not authentic. You know, so you, you, you come up with it with another joke that will work. And that's part of the collaborative process. Oh, you bet. And if you can't come up with another joke, you won't be in the business long. And you have a lot of stories about there are times where you you start off on Monday and you've got a script that's not quite in the kind of shape you'd like it to be in, but you've you've got three days basically to get it ready so that it can be filmed. And you've got to be able to work fast and stay focused. And if you and not everybody has the wherewithal to do that. Yeah. And I think that's really what defines guys that work a lot. And, you know, it, another sports analogy may be the guy that hits in the clutch. Yeah. You know, the guy you're in the ninth inning, you're behind a run or so. And the guy that comes up and, and gets a base hit or a sacrifice fly to win the game. Those are the guys that work a lot. And I think it's the same thing in comedy writing. I think it's the same thing. And it's different. Comedy writing is different. Drama writing is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Confessions of a Rogue TV comedy writer, Ted Bergman's memoir of his 40-year career writing and producing network TV comedy shows is filled with behind-the-scenes stories of Ted's working with the likes of Red Fox, Gary Shandling, Steve Martin... Flip Wilson, Jonathan Winters, and many other TV legends. Confessions of a Rogue TV comedy writer available in softcover and as an ebook through Amazon.com and other online retailers. You can follow Ted Bergman on Facebook. Ted spells his name with one N. B E R G M A N. Again, not to speak in generalizations, but I have found that with television in particular, comedy writers often work in pairs. Yes. You've worked in pairs and you've worked solo. Do you prefer one or the other? Or does it depend on the show you're working on? I will preface this by saying I'm not trying to tiptoe around the, the, uh, the question. Both. I work with writers who I'm, I said, my God, I got to get out of here. You know, this is what <laughs> And, there, and there, there, there are a few of those in the book. We won't go into detail, but uh, some of them are very, very famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I work with writers where the chemistry was just so wonderful um, that the the thing about working as a team is you've got somebody that you can bounce stuff off Mm -hmm. of. Comedy, you'll have a straight line, but you don't have the punchline. Or you say, well, what about, you'll come up with just a subject matter. So working with a team, if you have chemistry, it's, it's wonderful and it makes the job so much easier. The thing with working as a solo is what I like about working as a solo, I don't have anybody else telling me what to do. Right. Which I've worked both. 
And uh, I'm comfortable with both and I've had success with both and I've had some nightmares with both. We're talking about delivering in the clutch and you know, sometimes you've got maybe a day to turn something around. That speaks to another, and this goes back to the rogue part. You've worked with producers who believed the longer you work in the day, working all night to get a script done, the, the longer the day goes, the better. You've not always believed that. You, you've personally believed, okay, if this isn't working, working until 4 o'clock in the morning isn't going to make it better. I need to recharge my battery and come, and come back to it the next day. You've made some of your career choices stick into that principle. Well, I've always felt that is a macho concept, and it still exists to my knowledge because I've talked to a few people about it. There's a macho concept in comedy writing. I don't know about drama. No, drama, no. In comedy, because you're under such uh, uh, un, a, a ticking clock. Uh, and there's this macho concept that the later at night you work on the script, the more hours that you put into the script, the better it's going to be. And uh, my reaction to that is think about that. And now think about it at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Case closed. And I used to rail about that all the time. And when my daughter was born and I wanted to spend more time with my family um, and not get home at 3 o'clock in yeah. the morning uh, – I walked off shows that, because a lot of times you don't know. You don't know. I mean, if you're trying to get on uh, a show and you're talking to the producer and you're, you know, you're mutual kissy kissy and complimenting each other. And, okay, Ted, we'll hire your agent, makes your contract. And you walk in and in the first week you don't go home until, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning every night. You say, what the hell did I get myself into? So, I bang my head against the wall with that a lot. And, you know, there are other people that have said to me, why you spoiled, whining little jerk? You're being paid a ton of money. You are the luckiest guy in the world. And you're complaining because you have to work late. You know, I would kill to be in your position. So there's that argument. But I've always felt that if something's dumb, it's dumb, period, you know? And I just felt that that was not something that ever worked for me. If there's one takeaway you want readers to get from your book, Ted, what is it? That's a really good question. I think, and I've never thought about this before, but I think what I would like you to get away, take away from the book is what I like to take away from books. It opens a door to a different life, a different way of looking at things, a different experience. And I think that if you want to know what it's like to work in creating comedy, not only just for television, um, also in other areas, live comedy, mm -hmm. um, like that, even working on creating stuff on the Internet, I think this book will give you a really fun, uh, enjoyable uh, ride and I would hope that you would. there are things in there that are going to make you laugh. It's my life, for better or worse. I think you'll have a good time because, like all of us, every single one of us on this planet, we've all gone through hard times mm -hmm. and good times. And I've read and seen a lot of books about television and writing for television and everything, and I think this one's a little bit more personal. I think you'll... I think it's, you'll get a couple of good things out of it. One, the technical end, uh, the, what it's like, and then what I'm like. And uh, I think I've 
as I've said earlier, I like what I see in the mirror. Yeah. Except I would face was about 40 years. <laughs> Confessions of a Rogue TV comedy writer by Ted Bergman, available in softcover and as an ebook through Amazon.com, other online retailers. You can follow Ted Bergman, 1N, Ted Bergman on Facebook. Ted Bergman, thank you for, so much for joining us today. Uh, let's do this again sometime. Anytime, Ed. It was good to meet you, too. You're, uh, like I said, you're better looking than I thought you were. <laughs> One last thing I'll say is that there's an expression in comedy writing business when you're trying too hard to make a joke, and it's called reaching, mm-hmm. R-E-A-C-H-I-N, reaching for the joke. And I think I just did it. But... <laughs> we'll take a look at this week in TV history right after this. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 866-490-3991-866-490-3991-866-490-3991. Alexa users. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.